0: Good afternoon. This is part five in the teaching series that I'm going through in Ephesians. And uh, last episode, I was in uh, the verse eighteen in regards to, Actually, we're going to go back to the last week episode. I, I started into Ephesians chapter one, verse fifteen through twenty three, which is a, a prayer of Paul that he prays by the power of the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit as he prays about uh, aspects of what he just shared with them in verse. One, uh, actually three through uh, fourteen in Ephesians chapter one, and where he talks about uh, uh, the blessings we have in Christ, who God is, His sovereignty, and what God has purpose for us, and what God has called us to. And actually, this prayer is not just for that that we would understand that, but he also what he's going to talk about through the rest of this letter. He knows that that that, that it's not something we just can learn through our intellectual understanding of things. There's more to this. There's spiritual truths here that go beyond just our intellect. There's something that has to be anchored in, that uh, comes to us and be anchored in us by the Spirit of the living God that shapes how we see and perceive things that are of God. And it's not just through mental uh, or intellectual understanding of things. And we're going to pick up on uh, verse 18 is where last, I last spoke last week. Talking about that verse actually 17, I talk about wisdom and revelation. Paul prays for the wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of Him that shaped our life, and and uh, and then he actually prays in 18 verse, has, has the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we may know, meaning the, the the eyes, our perception of our of the core of who we are, be flooded with light that we be able to have the capacity to perceive and understand spiritual truths that Paul is talking about. And here he talks about that we, that we may know the first one in verse 18, uh, first, uh, thing he prays that we would know. He lists a couple of them in verse 18. Um, and let's, let's, let's read actually verse 18, uh, 17 through 23. Uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet gave and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all." In verse 18, I started into last week, just finishing up with uh, the last week's episode I, I ended with, uh, that Paul prays that we would know the hope to which he has called us. In verse uh, verse 18. So we, we talked to folks about what hope is, and it's being convinced and and, and, and uh, convicted and convinced and confident and that God is able to do what he says he can do. And that starts to shape our life and change us. And here he's talking about the hope uh, to which he has called you. We're talking about them, but also talking about us. The hope to which he has called us, right? He's called us to that we would know, that we would undersee, understand, that we would perceive that. And so what was Paul talking about when he's talking about the, this, this calling, the hope to what we're called to? Hope was this conviction, this inner reality we have, that there's something in the future we know is for sure. We're convinced and convicted that God said this is going to happen. That's what we we know it is. It's already a truth, a reality and in our heart, and it starts to shape and change the way we live and think and act and the things we value and how we see life circumstances. There are they' they're, they're, uh, were convicted and convinced of what the truth of the future is and as we talk about like the inheritance we have in Christ uh, in, in, in when he returns so what is this hope that we're called to and if you were to uh, look at we're gonna, I'm going to actually read out a couple of verses from in chapter. Uh, 1 in chapter 2 and 4 and and 5, some scriptures about um, the hope we're called to. What what is the expectation? What are we we, to be convinced of that God is going to do or has done already in Christ? He's saying that we would know that, that. It would be perception we have, that a hope we have that starts to shape and change our life and how we see circumstances, see our life, how we see God. And it it changes us. So let's look at a couple of those, the the hope that we're called to. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 4, that that, uh, it reads, As he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You may say, I'm not holy and blameless right now. Maybe not as we think of our life, but in Christ Jesus we are. And so God has purposed before the foundation of the world that we will be holy and blameless before him. And then it says, in love, he's pred- in verse 5, he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Is This is what we're, the hope that we're called to, uh, is that we are sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. We've been adopted by God. And then verse 10 of chapter 1, that uh, it, there's a plan for the fullness time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, Here's Paul, he's talking about in the end, when Christ returns, all things will be united, whether it's in heaven and earth, all those things, and that's us included, will be united under the lordship of Jesus Christ and all things made right again. In verse 11 of chapter 1, "...in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the purpose of will." Here, he's talking you know, the hope we're called to. We have this inheritance that's already been obtained because of Christ, and God has predestined that for us, and he's working all things according to the counsel of the will to make sure those things happen. That's the hope of what we're called to. Verse 12 of chapter 1. So we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Sometimes we struggle with things; we've done things wrong, and we don't know if it's honoring God, but in the end, he has made us... Uh, Uh, have our hope in Christ that we may be, we will be to the praise of God's glory. That's what we're called to, to be to to the praise of his glory. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the hope that we're called to. This is the hope of what God has purposed us to be and what God will make us to be eventually in his completion and his fullness in Christ when he returns. But we're his workmanship. We're his craft, craftsmanship, what he has made us to be. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for a good work. That's what he has called us to. And he's got a work that he prepared before time that we should walk in them with him. That's what. This is the hope, the reality that we have for today and for tomorrow. Ephesians two fifteen. By the abolishing of law and the of commandments expressed it in the ordinance that we might he, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And here he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles that were at odds with each other, even as believers in Christ. And he's saying, I've that God has created in Christ one new man in the place of those two, and that there is a place of peace. And God is, that's the hope we're called to. It may not be that yet, but it will be complete in Christ. And between now and then, we're the hope we have of the reality in that future, we're convinced of that's going to be. We're called to now live that out the best we can right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. These things I'm talking about. There's Ephesians 2, 21, 22. In whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Talking about us as, as believers in Christ, we are the temple of the living God. And we're being built together to be a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. That'll come in its fullness in our experience of that in the future. But between now and then, that is a truth. We need to be convinced of that reality that God has purposed that for us now. And live like that. It should shape how we see each other and how we respond to each other. And in verse chapter 4, verse 15, that rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're called to grow up and mature. And with that, we're called to speak the truth and love. We're we're called to be mature in Christ, to be just like Christ. And the thing is, we're not there yet, but God is purpose. This is the hope the conviction that we have that God will bring that to its completion at some point in time. And with that, we're called to live that out right now and grow in that. Verse 16 of chapter 4, "...from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when when each part is working properly, making the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love." talking about the body of Christ still again here talking about growing up and maturing it only happens as each part is working together properly, us knowing who we are, our part we play in the body of Christ and that we, we live out our calling and it makes the body grow and builds itself up in love, that's the hope we're called to. That's the hope what God has purposed for us in Christ, that we would live that out. And as we start to be convinced of that and we start to know that and that conviction, we start to live differently in a way that those things that Paul talks about become more and more reality in us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and, and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We're his beloved children. We need to be convinced of that. And in that we start to become just like our Father. In verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. This is what God has called us to be. This is the hope that we're called to, that we will walk in the same kind of love that Jesus loved, as Jesus loved us. And so it'll come in its fullness at some time when Christ returns. But between now and then, we're called to live that out and allow the love of Christ that, that came to us Start to shape us, and that convictions that that He loved us, that we're His children. Now we now can love others just like He loved us. So so Paul's praying that we would know the hope to which we are called, uh, to have the conviction of these realities that God is purposing Christ, that it starts to shape our life and change how we see ourselves and who God is, and it starts to shape the, the reality of our life and how we live our life right now in the now. Uh, in the present moment. And he says, talks about this hope. And we're called to have this hope that's anchored not in what we can do to make these things happen, but our hope is in God, who he is, what he has done in Christ, what he is doing and what he promised he will do, not by our ability, not by our logic or, or our common sense, but by the power of God and what he has done in Christ and purpose in Christ. And if you read through, as we read through Ephesians, we're going to see, the aspects of who God's character, his attributes, his sovereignty, his love, and his kindness, his mercy, and his grace. These are the things that we are anchored in. Our hope is anchored in him. And these truths that Paul will talk about, what he's already talked about, what he'll talk about through the letter, is it gives us substance, something to anchor our hope in. It's not in us, but in who God is, what he has done, and what He is going to do and purposed. And so when we remind ourselves to have hope, it's not just us trying to work it up because of we're, we're saying we better have hope. We're having a substance to hold on to that really gives us hope. It is in God and what He has done and who He is. Now, the next thing Paul talks about, you know, praying that our, our the eyes of our hearts be enlightened, that we may know, is the riches of the glorious inheritance, of His glorious inheritance in the saints. I'm going to go back a little bit to verse 11 through 14 in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Read that to talk about this inheritance. Verse 11, it says, In him, meaning in God, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the purpose of or counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So, what is the what is the inheritance Paul writes about here in verse eleven through fourteen, as compared to what he says uh, talks about inheritance in verse eighteen? Well, the Christian inheritance in verse eleven through fourteen our inheritance, which is our final, complete redemption from all evil, all sin, and we enjoy the fullness of of life that's found in the riches of God's grace and His goodness and His presence and who He is. We have him forever, and he has us forever. But that's different than the inheritance that Paul says in verse 18, where he says, um, verse 18, he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What's God's, God's glorious inheritance, which is the saints themselves, which is us, believers in Christ. At the time of the resurrection, all of us believers, God will inherit all those who have put their faith in him. He, The ones he's purchased at a great price because of his grace and mercy as he's shown us in Christ. So yes, we have an inheritance in God, meaning him himself and all, all that goes with God. But also he talks about God has his glorious inheritance, not just an inheritance, a glorious inheritance in the saints themselves. See, why is this important? See, remember the Ephesians are pagans. The majority of them are pagans, and they have this history of pagan worship and their beliefs in fate. And that, see, they had they had no sense of any say, having significance with any of the pagan gods in in this life or in the or in the next. So when Paul talks about God's glorious inheritance in the saints themselves, he's uh, making it making a point for these pagan worshipers because they didn't see themselves as having any significance or value to the gods, the pagan gods. In fact, they saw the pagan gods as not being predisposed, as being benevolent, in being benevolent at all towards them. They had to appease those gods with sacrifices in hopes that they would show favor to them, and um, and here. Paul is saying, No, God has an inheritance. He gave earlier in, in chapter one talks about the redemption they have in Christ Jesus. God provided that for them in Christ because he was already predisposed to be benevolent. And with that, he sees, he's saying, You're part of the inheritance God will receive at the end when, when Christ returns. Here it, it, the, the effects of, it affects how they see God and how they see themselves and how much he values them. It, it affects their, their self-worth. They, have, they understand that they have significance, not just in this life, but in the next life also. This is important. This is important for their sake, not only them that are reading this when Paul's writing, but us right now. It starts to shift our worldview and how we see ourselves and how we see, how we believe God knows and sees us. See, Paul talks about the eyes of your heart being enlightened, and you may know his glory and inheritance in the saints, with how God sees us and how God sees each other. See, this changes our worldview about ourselves, but not only that, how we see our brothers and sisters And this is really important as Paul's going to talk about the body of Christ as we go through the letter and talking about how there's this animosity between Jews and Gentiles. But when we start to see the significance of who we are to God together, it starts to shape how we see each other, how we treat each other, and how we relate to each other. So Paul's praying that they come to know this, that we come to know this and understand who we are and the value we have and the significance we have and how much we are truly loved and valued by our Father. This is important. And the next one he talks about, um, what we praise that we know, is what is the immeasurable greatness of his or God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. He's saying, "I, I pray that your eyes and your heart be enlightened, that you may know this immeasurable power, this you know, incomprehensible great power that's at work towards you right now. The same power that was at work, that's at work in them and that's work in us right now It's the same power. According to it's just like the same power that raised Christ from the dead. But not only just raised him from the dead, but that seated him in, at his right hand in heavenly places. Above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now this comparison to the power that worked in Christ and raised him from the dead, Paul's talking about something in the past. What he's saying is that same power that's in the past is presently the same power available to and at work in every believer, enabling them to live the Christian life, enabling them to live out the hope that we're called to. So God doesn't just call us his hope and tells us to do it. So here is There's this reality of the power that raised Christ from the dead that can transform our life to live completely differently, saying it's present right now in you. That same work that was going on in the past is right now at work in them right now. And it's far above, you know, when he's talking about it's far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, the word far above, he doesn't mean like spatially, like like a distance, a physical distance, uh, you know, that that, that, that uh, Jesus has raised over them. He's not talking about a spatial distance. He's talking about Jesus been raised to the right hand of God. It involves him being exalted in rank or authority above every order of authority whether human or superhuman whether in this present current age or the age to come the future age and why is this significant because paul knows they in their pagan worship they saw these pagan gods having rule and authority and power or different aspects of the heavens right and so here paul says Jesus is over every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion that you could ever name. God is above them. He controls, He's sovereign over all those things. And as they saw all these pagan gods they used to worship in hopes that they would get favor from them for specific aspects of life and even going through the heavens, He's saying, Jesus has been raised up above every one of them. He is the creator. And sustainer of all things, and there's also some that may have thought that Jesus now he's he's removed from this earthly life, right, and his earthly influence because he's dead now and he's ascended now he's up in the in the heavens somewheres, but the truth is here. What this is, he's saying, Jesus moved from has been moved to the ultimate place of power and authority and influence over all matters on earth. Not just because when he was here he had authority, no. Now he's ultimately over all things at the right hand of the Father. So, what does it mean for us who are also, as Paul says, raised and seated with him in the heavenly places? Let's read, actually, I want us to, to read and look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 through 10. I know we're not there yet, but this leads into it. There's connections with. Uh, we we just not taking out the, the verses. We're looking at 15 through 23 in chapter 1. They're not like separate from the rest of the letter. They're, it's all connected. And he, he, Paul talks about not only Jesus is raised to the right hand of the Father, he talks about us. This is the hope we're called to. And this is knowing the power that's at work in us. Helps us understand that though we're not there yet, God has purposed this and he will bring this to pass. And we are there now, spiritually. Verse 2, First 5 through 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one, that, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Here's one of the hopes we're called to in Christ. Right, he seated at the right hand of the Father, been raised up together there, and we've been raised up together to be seated with him in heavenly places. See this? 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 He wants us to understand and know the reality that we are partners with Christ in his influence in this age right now. See, he's He's telling them he's raised up above every name, every authority, every dominion, every power, every authority right now. And he's at the right hand of God. And not only that, you're there with him. And God is at work influencing the affairs of men. And he calls us to understand that we're called to be a partner with God in that activity of advancement of God's kingdom on the earth and making impact that others may experience the love the Father has expressed through the Son and dying for our sins to recover us and rescue us and to reclaim all that we're called to be in Christ. And in verse 22 and 23, he says, And he put all things under his feet, meaning the Father has put all all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And that's that that power to raise Christ from the dead, put him uh, in heavenly places, far above all rule and power, and also has now put all things under his feet. He is the one who rules over all things. He's placed all things. Jesus is the sovereign rule and authority and who is at work, working all things according to the counsel of his own will, as according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. And that means even our brokenness, even our sin, even the evil that sometimes rises up against us. If you think of the story of Joseph, they said, God, you may have purposed evil, but God purposed it for good. See, Jesus is using all things. And Paul is writing to them in their situation and persecution and hardship as being a believer during that time. He's saying that God raised Jesus from the dead, rose him up, put all things under his feet. Oh, and he's head over you, and he is sovereign over all things, working all things according to the counsel of his will, and you can trust in him, we have the conviction, the hope that he will fulfill what he has purposed for our life. And we're called to work in partnership with him. Now, when Paul uses the word church here, it's different than what we think of in our modern day. He's not talking about an institution. He's not talking about the structure of building a facility, uh, this, uh, this construct that we've uh, come to know with our traditions, with, with what church is. He's talking about a body of believers. People is organic, uh, universal church of believers that live amongst each other, live in relationship with each other and each other, in relationship with God, looking to, to uh, be a partner with Him in His kingdom work in the earth today. As he says, the church is His body. Uh, it's the universal church consisting of all believers, past, present, and future. And also look at it as it's, it's the local community of faith, the, 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 where faith and people and relationships in life collide in this organic group of people that are followers of Jesus trying to live like him and become like him and looking to be a partner with each other and with God in, in, in bringing his blessings that come through Christ to the world around them. And the church is called to demonstrate Christ to the world, that when the people of the world see believers as a part of the church community, that they would see and catch a glimpse of who Jesus is and catch a glimpse of who the Father is and what he's come to do and what he's in his love for for uh, all humanity. And that happens as, it, I'm going to read from actually chapter 4, verse 16 of Ephesians, where it says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so here he's talking about we, the church, as we work together, the fullness of Christ fills us up, that we together working and taking, taking our role and in, in being a part of a, a, a community of people that love God, love each other, and want to love the world they live in then the body of Christ grows up and matures, becomes the people God called us to be. It talks about the hope that we're called to. Christ is purposed that there be a body of Christ, a body where he is the head of that church and he is exper- and that body is expressing the reality of who Christ is and what he has done on the cross. So i have covered uh, some of the significance of what Paul prays for here in the last episode in this episode. And you see how Paul's teaching starting in verse 3 through 14 of chapter 1 and what we're going to see through the rest of the letter talks about these these truths of, of God, who he is, what he's done in Christ, who we are because of him, what he's working in us, what he's purposed in Christ in the future. All these truths are not something we can just gain an understanding of through our intellect, but they come through the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and revelation and a knowledge of him in our relationship with God. And he opens our eyes, the eyes of our heart, not our physical eyes, the eyes of our heart that gives us perception. And we come to know the hope uh, that's anchored in God and what he's purposed in Christ. And we know the riches of of the inheritance. And we start to know the reality of of the value and worth he has of those who believe in him and his love for us and all humanity and we start to know the the power that has worked in us that raised Christ from the dead and and, uh, uh, is now at work in us presently. These things are not something we just gain through our intellect and say, yes, oh yeah, I know that. No, these are truths Paul's praying that they become a part of who we we are. It becomes a part of our life, not something we, we think about, but something we are automatically as we realize who we are as God's children, sons and daughters of the most high, called by God to be a part of his household and express the the character of God through the life of the body of Christ. Now that's a lot there, but for that to become a reality, we need to pray. We need to Paul, that's why Paul Paul's praying. because I'm telling you these things, but what I'm telling you is beyond what you can accomplish on your own power. And that's why God We need God's power. We need God's Holy Spirit. And he's praying these things that they come to understand these things. And in turn, because of the hope that gets anchored in us, we become convinced and we start to know God. Our life is transformed as we worship him and know him more. And our values and our actions start to change and take the shape of becoming a reflection of who Jesus is. And that's going to take the body of Christ. It can't happen by one of us. It's it's through the body of Christ. And that's not... Uh, an institution that's an organic body of believers that, that live life together relationally with God and with each other in a way that God expresses his heart through them to the world they live in as they live their life and their calling and their gifts that God's given them in, in alignment with what God's grander story uh, is of loving the world through Christ. Next week, we'll pick up in chapter two um, and there's a lot of good stuff there also. But until next week, um, we'll pray that uh, God's blessing be on you and your family.